One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. How many of you don't believe in coincidence? Coincidences. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidences either. And so uh, when uh, I was uh, I was on a flight, a Southwest flight from um, where was that? Columbus to Omaha. I was preaching in in Omaha um, over the weekend uh, back in when was that? July, August, August, yeah. And all these, I'm sitting in the front of the plane, right? I get on Southwest and, you know, you pick your seat, right? So I was on an A-list, so I'm, I'm in the very front of the plane. And all these people, like the whole plane's filled and everybody's walking by, walking by, walking by. And there's these two seats sitting beside me. And it's like almost the whole plane's full and on comes Joshua and Jennifer and they sat down and I'm sitting there with my computer and Jennifer's looking over and she kind of figured out that, I was kind of different and started asking me some questions and, you know, we kind of hit it off and uh, here we are. And so I don't believe in uh, coincidences. I got to get that out. (laughs) Um, I believe the Lord always has a plan. Um, And if we're, and if we're connected, we're, we're engaged um, and we let him do what he wants to do. um, He takes us into the supernatural. So, are you ready to go into the supernatural tonight? <laughs> Amen. You know, Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, he demonstrated this walk on earth. It wasn't uh, a, a human walk. It was a supernatural walk, right? Um, and he actually did not fear darkness. He actually hunted darkness, right? He didn't fear the Pharisee. He didn't fear the Romans. He didn't fear any of them. He actually was tuned into what the Father was saying. Right, John five nineteen. It says that um, he only I only do what my Father shows me. He was connected in vision. He was waiting for the next place the Father was sending him, and it was always the next level of darkness. So the American church has become this: how do I make my life comfortable thing, which totally opposes what Christ demonstrated that you actually, when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, you actually don't fear the darkness. You're trained to hunt the darkness. Amen? You with me? So you are you equipped to hunt the darkness, church? I kind of heard some things about you that you might be, but, you know, I, I, I just we need to verify some things. Right? We, we might want to actually listen that the Lord wants to actually take us to the next place. Amen? You, you ready to go to the next place? Amen. You see, the, you see, the next battle requires the next equipping. Okay, you never get stagnant thinking that he gave you everything for the in, in the last season. He's always going to give you a new thing for the next thing because you're Christ dependent. You are anointing dependent. You are father fatherly voice reliant, right? And so there's always got to be more, right? And if you recognize that concept, that's what fuels a person's prayer life because you know he's always got a new thing. 
The next thing He's going to give you is for the very thing He's going to send you to conquer. But if you have a mentality where you're comfortable sitting in your chair and you just come in on Sunday, what do you need more equipping for? Right? That's I'm not getting a little too close, am I? <laughs> but that mentality of, all right, Lord, where are you sending me? What's my next mission? Who needs raised from the dead? Who needs a demon cast out of them? Who needs, right? That mentality actually sets you up to walk with an aligned focus Um, an alignment of what the Lord's intention is on earth, right? He's looking for people who are not afraid, but literally say, Lord, wherever you send me, I'll go. I hunt the darkness. Amen? And so um, in Zechariah 10, the Lord paints this picture. um, And he he starts out with a statement. He says, um, in the days of latter rain, cry out for rain. Right? So he gives, he gives, he's given his people a command to cry out, to rely, to expect, right? To need, right? People, people think that they are, get to a certain place and it's just comfort zone. Can I tell you? I've been walking with the Lord now 18 years. Every day, every week, every month, every place he sends me is a new thing that is more uncomfortable than the last one. I become more comfortable in the uncomfortable because I know the big guns, the supernatural power of the Lord is going to show up. Amen? And so there's this theme in Zechariah 10 where he creates this need. He creates this heart position that as you cry out for rain in the days of latter rain, that's what you're in, right? It says that um, there will be a confrontation with the dead thing. But in that confrontation, there will be an equipping process, right? He, he says in Zechariah 10, he says, I will give you the war horse. I will give you the tent peg. I will give you the battle bow. I will give you, right, the, the cornerstone. I will give you every weapon you need. And he, he describes this army that literally de- is dependent on him to go into the earth to be supernatural. Amen. He's never going to leave you ill-equipped, okay? He's never going to leave you ill-equipped. If you're willing to say, wherever you send me, Lord, I'll go, you're going to be equipped, amen? So let's just start this thing out right this weekend, okay? You ready? Have you cried out for rain lately? No, I'm talking like heartfelt cry out for rain. I'm not talking like just like kumbaya, regular Sunday church, do, you know, a couple, three slow songs and off we go. I'm talking, have you literally beat on heaven's door waiting and needing the next equipping of the Holy Ghost? How many of you are in a desperate place right now? How many of you are in, in a situation that is hindering you? How many of you literally need God to show up? Do you get wild and crazy in your prayer room? My wife listens to me in my prayer room sometimes and she thinks it's it's literally war going on in the basement. Come on, Jesus! Show up! Show up! So let's do this together. You ready? Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, Spirit, rain on me. Come on, Father, send the rain. Come on, send the rain, Holy Ghost. Come on, let your grace fall on me right now. Come on, I need your grace. Come on, send the rain. 
Come on, intoxicate me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Woo! Come on, intoxicate me, Holy Ghost. Come on, make me supernatural. Come on, weaponize me, Holy Ghost. Come on, come against my enemies. Come on, come, anybody pray like David? Come on, come against my enemies. Come against the principality that hinders me, Lord. Come against the ruling spirits that hinder me. Come on, Lord, send the rain. Send the rain. Come on, send the rain. Woo, come on, send the rain, Holy Ghost. Woo. You see, that heart cry is a foundation of reliance. It's a foundation that makes you fearless to be able and expectant to go to the darkest places on the earth. You weren't, you weren't made. Jesus didn't go into a tomb and depend on the Holy Spirit only to say, whoever desires to save his life must lose it, meaning that you too are going to go into a dark place. You too are going to go into a tomb. He didn't say that just as a colorful line. Jesus actually was hanging on the cross Right? He's hanging on the cross. He actually gives up the Holy Spirit. And he then had to trust the Holy Spirit to come raise him from the dead. Right? That's what the Scripture says. So in the darkest place, the Holy Ghost comes as promised and lifts up Christ, resurrects Him. Right? And Jesus says, as you are in the likeness of my death, so too shall you be in the likeness of my resurrection. Right? That's Romans 6. As you are in the likeness of my death, as you are willing to go to the, to the darkest places, trusting and reliant and in absolute need of the Holy Spirit, that out of your heart will come a heart cry of desperation. You see, the thing that's really weird about the American church and even when you get into uh, churches that, that um, claim to accept the Holy Spirit, there's this question, where's the desperation? Where is the heart cry? Where is the absolute reliance? Where is the need? Where is the purpose? Where is the awakening of the thing that did not exist in you in the last season that the Lord takes you into a dark place and out of a heart cry comes a birthing? A new thing, right? A resurrection of the Holy Spirit. And you see, the religious, you cannot get to that place by quoting enough Scripture or speaking enough religious things. Only out of a relationship of trust and reliance and expectation do you cry out in absolute need that the Holy Spirit reveals something in you that didn't exist before. Amen? So that, that, that dynamic of reliance and dependence actually is where worship comes from, right? It's not like you worship because you have to. It's actually you worship because that's the way of the Lord. He is what makes you. He is what equips you. He is what sends you. He is, right? He is, right? And so this equipping of the, of the Holy Spirit um, reveals a dominion in you, okay? And this is a little bit of a play on words, but in the days of latter rain, cry out for rain. A lot of people would say that um, that that context is just simply the rain coming down, but I'm here to tell you that as you cry out for rain, you're going to rain. 
as you cry out for R-A-I-N, you will receive R-E-I-G-N. Is that spelled correctly? <laughs> I've, I've, I've spelled things um, mistakenly, and my wife always, you know, makes sure I'm on that straight and narrow, so I'm good. I'm good. So you get the picture, right? You cry out for R-A-I-N, and ultimately you will R-E-I-G-N. You will take dominion. You will have authority. Jesus said these signs will follow those that believe. In my name, you will cast out demons. You will heal the sick, right? Death can't even stop you. Are you with me? Death can't even stop you. Death cannot even stop you. <laughs> so, you know, as I, as I pray, as I go places, um, you know, just a little bit, bit of background about me. I don't advertise. I don't do anything. My agreement with the Lord was if, if you, if you call me, you ask me to speak, I'll go. Okay. I, I, I don't call churches and say, Hey, can I come preach? I don't do those things. Okay. And so I rely on the Lord to position me in relationships. Um, and when that happens, the, the Lord, um, he always speaks to me. Okay. And, in, in this relational dynamic, um, I believe is a, a birthing of a new thing, okay? And so, <clears throat> I want to I talk to you about uh, the power of, of a relationship, all right? Man, I feel, I feel a resistance, I feel, I feel, I feel this resistance. Has something been resisting you guys? Let's just pray here for a minute. We pray in the spirit. Can we all pray, stop and pray in the spirit? I know this is unusual church, but I, but I feel, I feel something and I believe the Lord is intentionally letting me feel something because of the boldness that has to come from what the Lord's going to do. Okay. So let's just pray here for a few minutes in the spirit. Come on, she alabo shinte nebindo brashne alaba shindo broa kalida abria na omba edese pre shanane ebrio na ambro ki alaba shindo bre alaba shunto bre linde alaba shunde bria ma atia bre ebiala bre anana andoso prea. Come on, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every resistance, every assignment that has come against this house. Lord, I take authority over it. I command it to go in the name of Jesus. I command fear to go. I command everything that resists restoration. I command everything uh, that resists the equipping of the church and the supernatural awakening of sons of God. In the name of Jesus, I break its power and I command it to go now in Jesus' name. Come on, now in Jesus' name, go. I command you to go now in the name of Jesus. I command you to go now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just decree that the, that the opening of the ears and the awakening of the eyes of the hearts of the people here today, I just release the grace right now that nothing will hinder what the Lord is awakening in this house, that the sons and daughters of God will be awakened to take their new rightful place in Christ in the name of Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so...
back to my point here. As I, as I prayed in preparation for what I was, I was going to say, um, the, the Lord always gives me a vision. He always gives me um, a picture of what he wants to do um, and what and what he's going to do, and I'm, I'm I want to build a, a little bit of a foundation before we get into the depths of that. Okay, and so um, as a, as a backdrop, you know the Lord always speaks. He's always going to speak to you, and then there's going to be a testing as to whether or not you actually believe in what the Lord is saying. Okay. Do you believe in what the Lord has said to you? Who here has had visions and dreams that still have not come to fruition? (laughs) Okay, then I'm speaking to the right crowd. Because the Lord has a purpose that He is intending to do with you. He has a mission, an assignment. Okay? And in that assignment requires a faith that did not exist that He actually wants to birth in the new thing. All right? So, how many of you receive dreams and visions that are actually impossible for you? <laughs> it's actually, they're actually impossible. You know what? That's the evidence of you and God in a relationship. You and God in a relationship doing something that you couldn't do on your own. And he speaks in dreams and visions. That's the evidence of the relational dynamic. It's the reliance, Right? So in 2009, 2010, 2011, um, I started getting these prophecies. I started getting these, these visions that were way bigger than me. Things where I would have a, I have, I would have a school of the Holy Spirit. I would uh, even be a pastor to pastors. Um, that I would go to the nations. And, you know, at the time... I was, I was a prophetic guy working in a church, and I was happy doing it. I didn't need to do anything else. I didn't want to do anything else, okay? But there was a point of transition that the Lord said, that season's over, and now it's time to do a new thing, okay? And so there's always a new season with the Lord. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that transition... When he speaks, there's always a testing. Right? Where did Jesus, where did Jesus go after the oil or after the dove came on Jesus at the Jordan? It says that the Spirit of God led Jesus where? To the desert. Wait a minute, I thought deserts were bad. <laughs> deserts are where the Lord reveals his power. Okay, and I didn't I didn't really realize and I didn't really understand that at the time. I thought it was just like, you know, have a bunch of people lay hands on me and trust this Holy Spirit thing. I didn't know that in order for Dave Cuppet, this prophetic guy in a church to be transitioned into this guy who was going to go to different nations and do these schools and different things. I didn't I didn't know that there was an in-between period. Anybody in an in-between period? Could this house be in an in-between period? I think this house is an in-between period because what I what I have to say is centered on what I have to say is centered on the revelation of you becoming the new thing. Okay? A lot of you I know this is spiritual church, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, a lot of you flow in the gifts, a lot of you hear God. 
But the transition into your next identity, your, your, what the Lord wants to do next, requires you to hold on in a way you didn't have to hold on before. Okay? And so, you know, I was, um, how do I put this? Uh, I didn't realize it when the Lord spoke those things to it, but they were big things, and I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Okay? And then the Lord, the Lord took me to this scripture in, um, in, two, in, 2000, in 2011. He took me to the scripture and he, he took me to Isaiah 35. And he said, he said, he basically said this. He said, this, this Isaiah 35 is yours. I'm giving it to you. And how many of you know, if you read Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35 is like written in the third person. It's, it, it doesn't connect with you personally. And the Lord started speaking to me and he says, I want you to sit down line by line with me and I want you to rewrite Isaiah 35 to make it personal for you. Okay, so I sit down, I sit down with Isaiah 35. I get to verse 1 and verse 1, I write these words out as the Lord is leading me and I say it, I say it like this. The wilderness and the desert place shall be glad for me because I'm anointed to cause the desert place to blossom as a rose and rejoice. And so... Inside of me, it didn't sit right. Inside of me, when I said, wait a minute, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? That's kind of arrogant for me to say, the wilderness and the desert place shall be glad for me because I'm anointed to bring the desert to a place of blossoming. Wait a minute. And I, I didn't feel right. And the Lord started messing with me, man. He started uprooting my shame. He started uprooting what was in me that was hindering me from believing what he was calling me, what my real identity in Christ was. I was comfortable as a prophetic guy in a church, but I wasn't, I couldn't fathom going to nations and standing in front of thousands of people. There's like, why, why, why me, right? Why me? And so the Lord just kept working on me and he kept, he kept, you know, we, all right, we go to line two, and I write line two. The desert place shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing, for I know my Father's glory is to restore. What do you mean, Lord? Restore. You mean you actually want to restore everything? You want to put it back together? No, I want to make you the way I identified you, not as the world identified you. A lot of people think that restoring is just about fixing a problem, but real restoration is the world defined you as this, and I, Jesus Christ, say you're this. I wrote a book about you that says you are a supernatural one. You're a new creature. You are bound by my power, my, my call. I had you in my heart at the beginning, and I am the one who defines what you are. You are not what the world says you are. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, I'm trembling, man. I'm right. I'm writing this out. I'm, I'm like, my God. And, and I, I get down to the next line. Um, it is the birthright. I'm sorry. It is the birthright of the faithful. Therefore, the anointing of the Lord is upon me to strengthen the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees. I will say to those who dwell in the desert that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. I'm sitting there like, Lord, this is like a charge, man. This is like, get up. This is like, like Luke Rockney. This is like, go boys. We're going, we're going to win, 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 win. Right. And I'm sitting there like, like, yeah, that's what, that's me. That's me. And I went through this discovery process 
And, and it, it goes on, and, and I get down to this point. Um, the dry ground shall become a pool of refreshing. The thirsty land shall birth, birth forth springs of living water. In the dead place where the dragons re- reside, life shall birth forth. God will reign everywhere the sole of my foot treads. Man, and so I'm, I, I'm writing this declaration. I'm writing this vision that when I walk into the desert, I am going to release heaven everywhere I go. When I go into the, into the dead place, into the slum, into a third world nation, I am going to be the gate of heaven and I am going to be the one who the Lord sends to do a supernatural thing. Amen? Is your call bigger than Wellington? Is your call bigger than Colorado? Is your call bigger than the United States of America? Come on, man. Some of you have dreams that haven't come to to fruition yet. And if you think small, if you think with shame, if you think, I'm not even going to connect with that, guess what? The devil wins. That lie wins. That lie that identified you as insignificant, unable, and unqualified, it wins. But I'm here to tell you that the Lord is going to rip the shame out of people. He's going to restore dreams. He's going to magnify dreams. He's going to awaken a fire in people that is going to catapult you into a new expectation. Amen? Say this with me. Say, Holy Ghost, breathe on every dream. Breathe on every vision that I've put on the shelf and not work through with you. Breathe on them, Lord, and cause me to prophesy that my mouth would match your vision. That out of my heart will flow your vision for my life. Get ready, boys and girls. (laughs) Get ready. Because as soon as faith comes, things change. Okay? There's a reason why when you received a prophecy or you had a dream and a vision from the Lord that you actually kind of believe it, but you really just set it aside and put it on a shelf. But when the Lord says, no, I'm releasing a grace. I'm releasing a faith upon you that's going to shift the way you think. It's going to shift and drive that shame out of you that you're not that insignificant one. You are what Jesus Christ says you are. And that's the evidence, that's the power of a relationship with the Lord. His vision is what you actually believe. His dream, His prophecy over your life, it actually releases an anointing upon you and you actually shift and become what He says you are. You're not a druggie. Come on, you're not a flunky. Come on, you're not that broken one that was taken advantage of. That's not you. You are a world changer. You are going to shake the world. You are going to go to the nations. You are going to do something that everybody in your town, when they think of your name, says you're just that, that little girl. You're that boy who is, who is weeping in fear. And the Lord says, I don't care about that. I am revealing to you what you really are. Amen? Jesus said this, He's going to make you supernatural. Signs, wonders are going to follow you. Right? You're going to do impossible things. <clears throat> so little did I know as I, as I write this, Isaiah 35, and I'm declaring it for like a year, 
I, little did I know that uh, what was going to happen next. And uh, in December uh, 2011, I was preaching in Cape Town, South Africa. And I'm in my room um, one night, or at one afternoon, I'm preparing um, for, the, for the night uh, service. And all of a sudden, the Lord comes in the room and he says these words to me. He says, son, you shine like the sun, but I'll blind you for a season. And when you return, you'll shine with a transparent light. And he said, these, this, these are the things that's going to happen to you. He says, when you're going to get home, you're going to lose your job. You're going to have to move out of state. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose your pastor. You're, you're going to lose it all. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting there and I can feel the presence of the Lord, but I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm like, how dare you, Satan? Go for me. Get out of here, you liar. You're a liar. And the, Lord, the Lord's like, no, that's me. That's me. What do you mean? I thought it was peaches and cream and comfort and no son, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be stripped. And so, you know, the the, the way of the Lord um, is is really it's a hard thing for the religious guy to wrap his mind around. Because the religious guy is reading the Bible and trying to become a biblical representation, right? And the Lord, the Lord actually tests people's hearts, takes them to impossible things to where His power becomes your reliance. When His power becomes your reliance, you no longer live in your strength, you live in His strength, right? And so, man, when I got home, I'm like, Shell, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> And believe me, I've had some, some wild ones that I've come home and said, Shell, you're not going to believe this. But this one was like, what, what do you mean he's gonna, you're going to lose your job? I kid you not. The following, uh, the following few weeks, my company that I work for um, in West Virginia, I, work, I'm a, I was a global director for a chemical company. Um, they got bought by another chemical company, so everybody in upper management was out. Okay? So... I come home, shell, I lost my job. <laughs> the next thing you know, um, we get moved into a different city, into Pennsylvania. Um, long story short, everybody that I relied on, all my friends, uh, my pastor, everybody was stripped out of my life. And we're sitting alone in the middle of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, saying, how did we get here? Right? And it wasn't just that we were alone. There was an evil presence that came into our life. And I'm like, I'm fighting every night. I'm trying to push through. I'm trying to pray. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it was so awesome back here. And I get these prophecies and these big things that are supposed to happen in my life. And all of a sudden I get stripped of this. All of a sudden I get tested here. All of a sudden all this stuff is happening. And it's not like this was like 30 days and I'm back. This was, this was um, all of 2013, all of 2014, all right? And almost all of 2015. And we're fighting, baby. And the whole time, the Lord would wake me up and say, tell him, Isaiah 35. What do you mean, tell him? He goes, tell the darkness about Isaiah 35. 
and I'm sitting there. In, all my friends are stripped away. I'm not doing any ministry. I'm not doing anything. And the Lord is saying, tell the darkness about Isaiah 35. And I'm sitting there going, the wilderness and the desert place shall be glad for me. Because I'm anointed to cause the desert place to blossom as a rose and rejoice. Come on, the, in the very place where the dragon resides, life will birth forth. And that's what my prayer life looked like for three years. And nothing existed except me saying the wilderness will be fruitful. The barren place will birth forth fruit. And by the way, Satan, I'm going to preach to thousands. I'm going to raise the dead, heal the sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dave. Oh, yeah. I, I heard that for three years. Oh, yeah. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. And it wasn't just words. It was a heaviness. It was a depression. It was a, it was a, a weight. Can I hear to tell you, there's a lot of you guys struggle with depression, anxiety, and fear. And it's not just you. It's not you. It's a spirit. And every day when nothing existed, I had no reason to believe I'm in the middle of the darkest place of my life. And the Lord would say, tell them what I told you. Tell them what I said to you. Tell them where you're going to go. Tell them how you're going to raise the dead. Tell them. Okay. Roll out of bed, 3 a.m. The wilderness and the desert place will be glad for me. That's crazy. That's not regular church, right? <laughs> Not even close, right? But then, let me, let me say this. Well, you may say, where's that line up with Scripture? What's the point of that? There's a, there's a Scripture in, in Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. More are the children of the desolate. So the Lord is actually portraying to you, revealing to you what His voice is. His voice, when it speaks to you and you carry it, there is a, there is a um, gestation period. There is a carrying period. There is ultimately a birthing period. How many have been in the birthing room? Is it a pleasant place? It's deadly, man. She's grabbing anything she can grab hold of. She's ripping clothes off of you. She's saying, you did this to me. That's kind of like my, my interaction with the Lord during that season. You did this to me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. But that birthing, man, it's violent. Right? I can't see a child, but there's a child in there. I can't see it, but it's kicking. There's life. I'm, and I'm going to do everything that I have to do to bring this life into the world. Amen? And so I say to you, filling station, <laughs> more are the children of the desolate 
than of the children of the married woman. You may look around and say, we've got all these prophecies, we've got all these dreams, and it does not exist yet. And the Lord is saying to you, more are the children of the desolate than of the children of the married woman. Amen? And so, thank God, two and a half years into speaking to nothing but darkness, the Lord comes to me in a series of dreams. And um, in December, in December of 2015, the Lord, the Lord, uh, the Lord, the Lord, in this dream, the Lord lays this cloth on me. I'm laying. I see myself laying dead in a tomb, and the Lord walks in this tomb. I'm I'm actually living beside Him, and He 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 shows me my dead body. Okay, and He lays this cloth on me. And when He lays this cloth on me, it's like I enter into this guy that was dead and I sit up and the Lord Jesus look, looks at me eye to eye and he says these words he says a man from India is going to call you go I, and I'm like I'm out of I'm jumping out of bed and I'm I'm running around telling her Jesus said Jesus has resurrected me this is it this is what we've been waiting for Seven days later, I get this call. Um, I answer the phone. Hello? David! David! This is Pastor Babu from India. I saw you on YouTube. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I haven't preached for three years. How did you see me? He goes, I saw you on YouTube. And I had a dream that you're going to be preaching in India. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I said, I'm coming. You know why I said I'm coming? Now, now here's the deal. How many of you gotten phone calls from India? <laughs> they take your money. They trick you. They do everything. That, it's not normal. And I, I know what I'm, I'm speaking to an Indian. And, and he says, you're, you're supposed to come. And I said, I know. The Lord told me last week that you're going to call me. And I start sending thousands of dollars to a man I did not know having to trust what he's doing. I mean, we're doing, we're doing uh, uh, messenger FaceTime calls. And, and, I'm, and, and, and I mean, this is like the poorest of the poor of India. This isn't like Taj Mahal India. This, this, this is like Raiders of the Lost Ark India. Okay? And I was deathly afraid to go. I mean, of all the places in the world, India? Are you kidding me? India? But here's the deal. When the Lord gave me the dream, there was a faith imparted. It, it gave me an ability I did not have. And I said, I'm, I'm coming. And I start sending this money over there. So um, in the spring of 2016, I'm doing my first mission in India. And you have no idea what it's like to be back in a saddle after three years of being sidelined. Baby, it was like a wild bull being set free. You know what wild bulls are like, right? It's, it's like you cannot tame a wild bull. Dude, I, I landed, and um, I landed. They, t they take me to the first church. I preached five to six churches every day and a crusade every night. I was, I was preaching, prophesying, casting out demons, and, ra and praying for anything that could move for 12 plus hours every day, okay? 
I'm, I'm standing, I've never, I've, I'm, you know, the church that I was the prophetic guy in, um, I, you know, I'm, I was used to standing in front of three, four, five hundred people, maybe 600, but never in front of 4,000, never in front of 6,000 people. And I'm standing there and all, the, the Lord's giving me, like, I didn't come here for you to talk about me. I came here to, for you to demonstrate me. And he's giving me these visions and I'm praying for the deaf. I'm praying for people to see. And all this stuff is like, it's like, oh my gosh, this is real. Jesus is supernatural, right? What didn't exist in the place I was in, the Lord took me to a desert to birth something that was going to be supernatural. It did not exist in the old place. It, but he had a vision that it was going to exist in the new in the new David, amen. And so I th- I'm like it was it was like an 11 day mission, man. And I'm getting my money's worth. I am getting every pastor I can get filled with the Holy Ghost. The Lord somehow would would put me in front of 50, 100, 200 pastors at a time, and I'm preaching the Holy Spirit to guys that. They knew their Bible, but they had no Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm laying hands on these guys. I'm, I'm getting hundreds of pastors baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm going from church to church. I'm going to crusade. And I'm like, ah, the wilderness and the desert place shall be glad for me. Dude, it was electrifying. And I thought that was it. But then the Lord wakes me up. Day six. I'll never forget it. Day six, he says, today I'm going to show you why I brought you here. I'm thinking, what? what? (laughs) That was pretty awesome. What's next, baby? Right? What is next? And he starts to speak to me about the man who called me. Okay? And he, he he starts speaking these words that today you're going to restore Babu. And so I get in, they pick me up. Pick me up early that morning, and uh, I start asking him questions. I said, uh, "Tell me, like, what what's going on? Like, what? Tell me about your life." And um, you know, we were talking kind of small talk up until that point, but he starts telling me this story. It's like it's like the Lord set me up, and he he pukes his stuff on the table in front of me. He says, he says, yeah. He goes, he goes. I have this church. Um. But and he starts explaining these, these, these radical Hindus and what these radical Hindus do in India. And he starts explaining, he says, he goes, they wear these white shirts, they walk through the streets like an army, um, and they beat this drum. And the reason they beat this drum is to induce fear into anybody who's not a Hindu. So anybody who's a Christian, it's a warning. Because what they do is they beat this drum, and then they will beat people on the street as a open demonstration that if you worship anything other than their Hindu gods, you're going to get beat. They, they set people on fire. They do all kind of stuff like you, you don't hear about it, man. And he starts explaining this. And I'm sitting there, and so I asked him some more questions. And, and uh, I said, Does, do they, have they done that around you? And he goes, they've done it to, to us. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, so he starts talking about his church. And he says, he says, yeah, he goes, probably about three months ago, about the time I called you. <laughs> he goes, about the time I called you, 
these radical Hindus um, came into a church service and they were dragging people out into the street and beating people. And, you know, there's not many Christians in India. It's 99% Hindu, less than 1% Christian. Um, it's, you know, it's a big step to be a Christian in India, okay? And so they literally are dragging people out into the street. They're beating him. And so all of his church is like scattering, okay? And it, I mean, I'm like, all right. So the Lord starts speaking to me about the restoration and why today is going to be the day that Babu gets restored. So we get into, we get into, we get to this church and he goes, this is my church. And I'm like, all right, baby, let's go. Let's go. Right. You see before five years ago, I don't know if I wouldn't be sitting there shaking in my boots in a dark place, in a world where I have no rights in a world where I have nobody to protect me. I'm there with one other guy, my son-in-law, okay? And we're, we're literally, it's me and him at the mercy of India, having to rely on our God to go before us and to be our rear guard and to be everything, okay? And so we pull into this church, and he goes, this is my church. And we go in, and they've got some, some worship set up, and there's, there's only like, I don't know, 25, 30 people. And they normally, he says, before that occurred several months ago, we had over 100, 150 people um, at different times, and his church got scared, okay? And so, he, he, you know, he hands the mic over to me after worship. I start preaching. Um, and all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, anoint him now, okay? And so, I stop. Um, and I walk over and I, I uh, get this oil out and I, pu- I put it on, on, his, on his head. And I start to prophesy about the restoration coming to his life. And he falls down and people were just standing up and it was, it was a wild scene, okay? Um, and they start worshiping, okay? And they start worshiping. And, and worship is, is, is going and going and going. And... and um, all of a sudden, um, some of the interpreters that were with me, they, they walked me over to the edge as the people were still worshiping and people were praising the Lord and Babu's, you know, he's, he's tears running down his face and he's shaking. Um, they walked me over to the, to, to the edge of the building. And in India, um, most of the buildings have a roof without any walls. And so you can see everything, okay? And so they walk me over to the edge and they start pointing to me and you can see the Hindus, the radical Hindus lining up, okay? And I don't know, man, something came over me. I, jump, I jumped up on that stage and I start, I start to prophesy. And I, I'm, I'm starting to like get these, trying to get these people revved up that their God will save them, Okay. And, and we're worshiping and, and praying and we're prophesying. And um, these Hindus are like, they're starting to walk across the road. Okay? And I'm sitting there and um, I'm looking. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, baby, it's on. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to run. There's nowhere to run. All I have is a prophetic voice. All I have is what the Lord is putting on my tongue. And I'm prophesying what the Lord is showing me. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking what he's speaking to me. And, and um, they're, you know, the, they're st- the worship team's still up on the stage. They're worshiping. And all of a sudden, these Hindus, 
as they got closer and closer to the edge of the hut, I could see they had tears running down their eyes. And there was a threshold to the hut. It was like there were like these designated walkways, walking ways um, in, into the hut. And as soon as they would walk into the hut, they would fall face down. And when they would fall face down, the crowd would get, the, the people would get more amped, okay? And they're like, yeah, that's our God, right? And, I mean, they're speaking in Hindi, but it's like, yeah. Um, and, and then another one, another radical Hindu walks in, boom, falls down beside him. And pretty soon there's a pile of radical Hindus laying face down, not moving, okay? And all the other ones that are watching, like these were their leaders. All the other ones that are watching on the street, they're, they're like, what happened to Jim Bob? Where'd Jim Bob go, right? Jim Bob's laying down there, face down, didn't have a pulse, man, face down, not moving. And, and worship is going on. It goes, you know, it goes on 20, 30, 40 minutes. And, um, all of a sudden, one Hindu after the next gets up on their knees and starts decreeing that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not normal church, right? But are you willing to go into the darkest places on earth? Are you willing to go where they kill you for believing in Christ? Have you given your life? See, giving your life is connected to do you believe? Not what's in it for me. What can you do for me, God? Death is required for resurrection. Right? What are you going to do for me is a coffee sipping... I, I can get into some different descriptions, but... That's the, the way of Christ is a supernatural walk. Amen? Right? It's not what you can do for me, God. It's actually what can I do for you? Can I represent you? There's a lot of people that try to talk about Jesus and because they talk about Him, they think they know Him. But if you know Him, He'll lead you in the darkness where you realize He's the only one that could ever resurrect you. He is the only one that could make you a supernatural one. He is the only one that could send you and be the very anointing that you rely on to do an impossible thing. Amen? You with me, church? <laughs> so here's the deal. Our dreams, decisions, our dreams, prophecies, and visions, just decisions. Or are they a place? Are they a thing, a, a, um, a, a, a clothing? Are they a new place in the Spirit? Are they something that, yeah, you were here, but I'm redefining you, right? It's tangible. The, the Scripture says that faith is a substance, right? Faith is tangible. And the only way you get faith is from Him. A lot of people say, I'm just going to read my Bible. And I'm going to be faithful. Well, you know, the Bible actually tells you is that Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? What is the word in that scripture? It's the word rhema. 
Faith comes from rhema. Nothing else. You know what rhema is? Rhema is the direct voice of God. It is the vision of God. It is the dream of God. It is the prophecy of God. And man cannot create faith. Why are so many Christians sitting in church shaking, trembling? Because there's a demonic anointing that has more of a grip on somebody than the vision that God has put in their heart. Faith comes from hearing, right? And so what has He spoken to you? Your faith is going to come from what He speaks to you. It all goes back to Joel 2. The Lord says, I will, I will pour out My Spirit upon you. You will dream dreams, have visions, and you will prophesy. You prophesy out of what He shows you. And what He shows you is the faith imparted to become. Amen? So the vision is the central theme of the Lord redefining you, establishing your purpose, establishing your mission, sending you in a path, and then turning you. And then sending you back the other way. Right? It's about following and, and becoming, not trying to simply be something. You can't be it. You can't just make yourself something. That's self-defined humanism. Right? And so, as, as you become the one crying out for rain and believing in what He has said to you, suddenly you start to step into what He has said. Amen? There is a transition point. And the reason I told you the story is because it was a transition point. Amen? It was, it was something that didn't exist, but He breathed into me. He spoke visions about doing something and going somewhere, right? And I had to believe it in the midst of darkness, and all of a sudden I got a phone call. Hey, bro, it's time to go to India. <laughs> you with me? Pretty wild, huh? You see... When I was just that guy in a, in a church happy with doing prophetic stuff, the Lord had a bigger plan. He says, David, I'm, there's, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of Indians that you're going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. There's going to be thousands of pastors you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's going to be dead babies you raise. There's going to be all these things you do. But I was comfortable back in the church where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit which was a new revelation for me. I was, I was just happy. It was like, man, you're alive. You're real, right? But Dave wasn't supposed to, his destiny was not the church guy. The destiny was his vision. Amen? Say this with me. Say, Holy Ghost, show me the new vision for the next season of my life and strengthen my heart. Breathe on me that I would become what you say I am. When Satan comes to steal the seed, give me strength to stand in the evil day. Make me supernatural. Come on, breathe on me, Holy Ghost. Come on, break every limit off of me. Come on, break every chain off of me. Open the prison door. Let me see fully what you say I am in this next season. I say that to you 
Wellington filling station for a reason because I have a vision for you. All right? I got something I think the Lord wants to... I don't think it's revealing. I think it's confirming. You guys can confirm with me what, what, what this really means. Okay? I'm going to read this to you. And then we're going to see what the Lord wants to do. All right? <clears throat> so... I see this vision. I see, I see uh, Joshua and Jennifer on the front line of a battle where they're facing north. <laughs> I was riding down here, by the way, in the car, and uh, jo- Joshua starts talking to me, um, and he starts talking about, I wrote a song about the north, and I'm like, wait a minute, that rings a bell. That's what the Lord was talking to me about. And I'm like, don't say anything else. I don't want you to tell me anything else, Okay. And so (laughs) I see Joshua and Jennifer on the front line of a battle where they're facing north. I see an enemy army has dug a trench to defend against any advancement. Joshua and Jennifer are standing with leaders and the church body is behind them. I see Joshua, uh, Jennifer, and the leaders are wearing these long dusters like cowboy, cowboy coats, right? And, you, and they're six shooters. You got like 45s and 44s, these big cowboy guns, right? You got guns. You're not without guns. Amen? I see you're weaponized. Amen? <laughs> but the people um, behind the front lines are hoping and supporting the front lines, but they're not engaged. So you got the picture. You've got a group of people on the front line being led by Joshua and Jennifer. You've got your coats on. You've got your weapons. But there's a whole group of people behind them that are just hoping. Okay? Not engaged. I see the, I see the battle with the enemy is at a standstill. Not losing, but not winning. It's like you're, you're, you're kind of in your place of battle and the enemy is in their place of battle. And it's kind of like a tug of war, but there's no advancement. All right? The battle is over a city to the north. I just, I see, I see this city. I see this connection with, with a city. And, um, I see, uh, I see a connection, um, um, in the city to the north, but a supply line keeps getting cut off by the enemy army. So the city remains under enemy control. Are you guys in a war with with the north? I see Jesus step onto the battlefield and he stands behind the church body. An angel blows a trumpet and Joshua suddenly is refocused, taking his attention off of the enemy, focused solely on the sound of the trumpet. Trumpet in scripture is the, the prophetic. It's the voice of God. It's what he is saying. Joshua does something that's unconventional. It's not what a normal leader would do. He yells out commands to the left and to the right, calling his leaders to go where Jesus is standing behind the church body. Wait a minute. Leaders are supposed to be in the front line. Maybe. Jennifer steps up 
with a trumpet at this time and begins to release a sound. And these are my words. I didn't, th- this is what I wrote before. We were talking about vibration the whole way down here in the car. <laughs> and I'm giggling to myself because I can't believe that I, the Lord shows me this vision. But Jennifer steps up with a trumpet and begins to release a sound, a vibration which causes the fear that the people are feeling to leave. Peace and power come upon the leaders as they obey the voice of God and stand behind the body. Okay, so the body is now at the front. The leadership is behind them supporting them. All right? The leaders begin to simply pray in the Spirit. Joshua's heart appears to be beating out of his chest. He looks at Jesus eye to eye. Jesus takes us, takes the six shooters out of his hands as well as the hands of the other leaders. He's taking your weapons, okay? Then he takes the dusters off of everybody that's wearing a duster. He then puts these new white robes, these new mantles come on Joshua and Jennifer and the leaders, okay? And the people that are with them. So everybody suddenly is wearing a white, a white robe, okay? It's like they're, they're priestly garments, okay? They're, they're pure white, okay? Jesus places the first coat on Joshua, and when it comes upon him, he falls to his knees and he starts to pray like he's never prayed before. There's, a, there's this hunger, there's this birthing in the Spirit, there's this prophetic utterance that begins to flow out of him, Okay? They're positioned behind the church with no weapons. So the same thing that happened to Joshua happens to Jennifer. And suddenly, as you're aligned with Jesus behind the church, you actually, as you fall on your knees, um, the church becomes strengthened. The church literally, they rise up in their white garments and they become this army that is like, it's not just a handful of leaders. It's actually the whole body is actually pushing against the enemy. Okay? Jesus writes a scripture on Joshua and Jen. It's Ephesians 3.10. I'll, I'll get to Ephesians 3.10 here in a minute. Suddenly the body is moved to the front line. As, as, as Joshua and Jen, Jennifer turn, they write the same scripture on every person that the Lord puts a robe on. So the whole body has this white robe on and you have a scripture written upon you. It's Ephesians 3.10. The people of the church are equipped differently than, than the leaders now. Instead of a garment, not just a garment, all these weapons appear in the hands of the people. Gatling guns, missiles, sniper rifles. You get the picture, right? The whole church is weaponized. It's not just the leaders carrying six shooters wearing a duster. It's a weaponized group of people with power. It's a weaponized group of people that literally has more power than the enemy. And it's not just a handful fighting the fight. It's a body that is literally at the front lines. The people start firing weapons, and, and as this new level of power is released against the enemy, I see the enemy retreating, and the land to the north is taken. 
The battle is won. So I don't know what you're fighting to the north. I'm going to talk about a few things here in a minute, but the north is going to be taken by Wellington Filling Station. The north is going to be taken by Wellington Filling Station. So let's talk about this for a minute. What is the Lord really saying here? Okay, why did, why did the Lord write this scripture on Joshua and Jennifer? Why did, he, why, why did he write it on Joshua and Jennifer and then Joshua and Jennifer write it on the church? The scripture in Ephesians 3, it's, uh, I'm going to read verse 8 to 10. To me, who am less than least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Right? There's a fellowship, a reliance on the Lord. Um, and he gets to verse 10. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities, to the powers, to the rulers of darkness. Okay? So the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the intent, the, the mantle that is on your pastors is to advance. It's for an army to become something they couldn't be on their own. You become unified in a purpose and together there's not just a handful of people fighting the war. There's actually a whole body that's being strengthened by an apostolic mantle that is actually fueling the whole thing. Right? Well, I, thought, I thought leaders, they were supposed to be the ones like head on. They're supposed to be, well, you, what? let me say this to you. How does Jesus do it right now? Is Jesus head on right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's He doing at the right hand of the Father? He's interceding day and night. Right? What is the most powerful thing that an apostolic mantle can do? It is to align with the Lord. To intercede what the Lord wants to do. And if the Lord says, I'm going to do it, the mantle is that you actually make it happen in your prayer life. Right? Out of the depths, out of a dark thing that does not exist, the mantle has come upon the house to actually invade a place. And so I'm telling you, Wellington, I'm telling you, Filling Station Church, right? Don't quit. You're about to break through something. You're about to overcome something. There's something to the north that the Lord is releasing vision to you for that is going to shift because there's a shift in what's happening inside the house. Amen. There's a shift. The Lord, the Lord is shifting something. When, when, when people who are supposed to be at the altar in intercession, but they're the ones having to run around and do everything. Guess what happens when they're the ones running around and doing everything that takes away from the very call to be at that altar to intercede. Amen. You getting a picture? So apostolic wisdom turns everything upside down, right? It, it, Jesus didn't work the way the world works. The world works with a top-down pyramid where the guy in charge commands and everybody else just follows orders and does them. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. He turns it all upside down and he said, the greatest is going to be the intercessor. The greatest is the one who prays and believes and empowers a body to actually put on the coat, 
to put on a garment, to put on your assignment, to step in to the, to the call. And I believe the Lord is recruiting you. If you're not already engaged, the Lord is recruiting you to take a new place. There's people in the back that the Lord is saying, I'm shifting you to the front line because I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm taking those who were on the front line and I'm shifting their assignment. I'm shifting you into a deeper season of intercession because it's out of your prayer room that my alignment is going to release this thing. Okay? Well, what, what do you mean I'm supposed to be the one on the front line? Well, Jesus said it like this, Ephesians 4.10, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors in teaching for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Do you have a ministry? The answer for every one of you is yes, I have a ministry. The guy who has a ministry is not the guy simply standing in a pulpit. You, the church have a ministry. Every one of you have a call of God on your life, and it's not to sit and watch a pastor on Sunday. It's to be at the front lines, breaking through walls, breaking through the hindrances, actually having your weapons out, letting the Lord take you into impossible places. In this day, you're raising the dead. This day, you're casting a demon out of somebody. This day, right, you're healing. You're letting God on the front lines work miracles. Because your pastors have shifted into a full-blown equipping mode. Are you with me? A full-blown equipping mode. And I believe those who aren't moving yet, when you guys begin to pray and you start blowing that trumpet and, and the intercession and what you guys do moving forward, there's going to be a birthing. There's going to be an appearance of something that hasn't appeared yet, but it's, gonna, it's like the child in the delivering room. There's going to be some crying out, but there's going to be a breaking forth. Amen? There's going to be people who, who said, I like being here but I don't have a gift or I never did this or I never did that. And suddenly the Lord's going to start visiting you in dreams and visions and you're going to rise up and the Lord's going to send you to 7-Eleven or the, the local grocery store and you're going to work a miracle and suddenly you're going to start breaking through things because there's an intercession that the Lord is birthing in this hour. Okay? Well, where do you get that, Dave? Well, the you know... The, the, the scripture actually is very clear in terms of the power of the priest. Okay? Joel chapter 2, you're all familiar. Joel chapter 2, it starts out about this supernatural army. Right? And then it talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the end. And it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You will dream dreams, have visions, you will prophesy. But in between, it, it, it says these words. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a, a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. And I believe the Lord is, is calling you guys out of the out of the front line, um, because there's going to be a season of intercession. There's going to be a birthing. There's going to be a push that happens 
in this next season in this house where there's going to be an onslaught. There's going to be people walking the door and suddenly start dreaming dreams and seeing visions. There are going to be people that have this revelation and encounter with Jesus Christ and you start preaching and you start prophesying and you start actually doing these things that you didn't do before because your pastors step back and they let they trusted Christ to be this foundation where the whole body above it gets equipped and not this top down corporate structure not that you guys have done that before but i believe the lord is emphasizing this in this season that there's going to be this thing with this body that literally you're going to start dreaming you're going to start having visions you're going to start having encounters with god with abilities imparted to you that you did not have before. And you're going to be thrust into the front lines. You're going to be part of that push that actually takes the north. You believe me? Say this with me. Say, Holy Ghost, show me my purpose in taking the north. I want this house to take its rightful place in expanding to the north. I will do what you asked me to do. <laughs> you see, you have this picture. The apostolic is about multiplication. It's about people that are part of it being supernatural. Not just a couple. Right? I mean, traditionally in the spiritual church, you've got a couple guys with some big gifts and they end up being the leaders. But the reality is the, the, the turning upside down, right? The turning upside down of the whole thing is the emphasis on the birthing, the emphasis on the intercession, the emphasis on the prophesying, the emphasis on what the Lord is saying, and the body takes its place. Amen? So here's, here's the kicker of the whole thing. And here, here's the faith part that the Lord, I believe the Lord wants to, wants to impart to you. Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul said it this way to Timothy. He said, by your prophecies, wage war. Okay? And I want to I reveal to you that prophecy actually dismantles your enemies. Do you believe that somehow the Lord is just going to talk to you about things that don't matter? Everything the Lord talks to you is strategic and purposed. And when He speaks to you, it's to actually dismantle an enemy that has blinded you, imprisoned you, broke you, shamed you. Okay? And when his prophecy is strategic um, in alignment in your heart, and you actually step into it, the, you become the prophecy. You step into the mantle. And instead of being under the mantle of a, of a demon, you are actually under the, the mantle of the Lord. An example is this, you shake in fear, you have depression, you're, you're tormented day and night, but you have about 10 prophecies where the Lord says, I'm breaking that shame, I'm breaking that fear, I'm doing this to you, okay? You're, you, when you're, you're trembling at night, you're shaking, you're, you're, your depression is on you, guess what? You're under a yoke of darkness. That's just not you shaking. That's your enemy putting its blanket on you, putting its cover on you. 
Okay? But the Lord says, when I prophesy to you, I'm, I'm the one clothing you. I'm the one putting the cloth on you. I'm equipping you with my anointing, my ability, right? And there's an opportunity to break the mantle of, of the enemy as the Lord actually is offering to clothe you. You get, you get the picture? Okay, you live in a spirit world. You, you, may, you live in a natural world, but there's two kingdoms. There's, there's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And whether you believe it or not, you're under the, the power of one of them. There may be a mix of it, but certain things you do, certain things you think, certain things you tolerate. Amen? If you tolerate darkness, yet the Lord told you I'm breaking that, guess what? That's, that's you know, why? Why would you tolerate if the Lord has promised you victory? Amen? And so, when you come under a mantle, it's a significant thing. Okay? It's a, it's a breaking of the old. It's a breaking of the limitation. It's a breaking of the spiritual blindness becoming something that the Lord says you are. So how powerful is prophecy? Do you, do you think of prophecy as just, well, yeah, that guy prophesied and it was cool. Or do you look at prophecy and grab hold of it and put it on? You got to put, you got to put it on. You have to grab it and put it on. That's mine. That's what I am. I, I, I gave you the story of the three years of being in darkness and having to say that's what I am when I had no reason to believe I would be standing in front of thousands of people in a foreign nation. But that's what the Lord says. I don't care if I feel I'm shaken, I'm broken, that the Lord says it. I'm fighting, I'm pushing through it. Amen? And so there's this amazing scripture about the power of the prophetic. Um, if you go to uh, 1 Samuel 19, verse 18 to 24, the picture in this scripture, David's in the desert. You know what happened to David, right? The Lord pours an oil on him and prophesies to him. He says he's going to be king. What happens to David? The next thing David knows, yeah, he has a couple victories. He kills a giant. No big deal. But he spends years in a desert. Right? Anybody feel like you spent a few years in the desert? So David is running in the desert. Saul is chasing him down with an intent to kill him. Okay? He's, he's hunting him with an intent to kill him. And I'm going to pick it up. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take, take note, David is at Naoth Ramah. When Saul sent messengers, assassins, right? These are killers. He sent assassins to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as a leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. So think about this. The messengers are actually sent by Saul to hunt and kill David. And because David is standing under the mantle of the prophet, Right? David actually is prophesying 
with a mantle on him that is causing the very thing that came against him with an intent to kill him. Suddenly, can you picture the assassin? Oh, oh, what's going on? Like weeping, crying. I hear the Lord say, and, and he runs away naked. Right? He literally runs away. He could have killed David, but the power of the anointing, the prophetic anointing was so strong. The assassin lost his mind. Okay, so we pick the story up. The assassin goes back. Right? The, assa- the assassin um, goes back. Then, then Saul sent... Um, I'm sorry. Then... The, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, Samuel standing as the leader of them, the Spirit of God came upon them, um, the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Okay? So you have another group. You have another group of assassins that came. The same thing that happened to, to the first one happened to the second one. Okay? And, and now a third time. And when Saul was told, he sent another messenger. The same thing happened to them. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time. We get on to the point where Saul himself gets off of his throne. Okay? Saul gets off of his throne and he comes to David personally at Naoth Ramah with an intent to kill David. He doesn't believe the assassins. What, what do you mean they were prophesying and you lost your marbles? You lost all ability to kill the one I sent you to kill. I, I don't believe it. So Saul gets off of his throne, right? And he, he walks and he, he goes to Ramah and he says, where is David? And they say, he's with Samuel at, at Naoth, okay? And so Saul, it says Saul went to Naoth Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all day and all night. Therefore they say that even Saul is among the prophets. So think about this. This is, a, this is an amazing prophetic picture. The killer himself Satan gets off of his throne, okay? I don't care if it's a principality. I don't care if it's a power. What did Jesus write on you in the vision? Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that the church would reveal the power against the principalities and powers of darkness. Have you written that on the church? The church, you're, this whole church is having Ephesians 3.10 written on them. The same thing that happened to Saul at Naoth Ramah is going to happen to your enemy. The mantle that they have used to keep the place to the north and hinder you is going to be removed. There's going to be a dismantling of your enemies. You with me, church? You with me? He stripped off his clothes. There's, there's a significance of the clothes. Okay, clothing represents a mantle. What did the prophets wear? They, they wore a mantle over them. What did, Paul, what did Saul wear as a king? He wore a kingly robe. It was a mantle of, he was coming to kill the anointed one. Right? And as Saul 
came within the sphere where David stood under the mantle of the Lord and was prophesying what the Lord was saying. Death, murder, hell, there's nothing that could come and take what the Lord promised to David. Is, power, is prophecy powerful? Yes. Prophecy is powerful when it's not sitting on a shelf, but you're standing on the, the mountain. You're standing on this, this hill, this holy hill, this prophetic hill, and prophecy is flowing out of you because the Lord has promised you a certain thing, and you begin to speak it out of your mouth, and your enemies that came to take your mantle... The enemies that came to take your cloth, the enemies that came to take your clothing, your equipping, literally, they themselves laid down their ability. Amen? They laid down what they came to actually do. Because the Lord is the most powerful force on this earth. And when you believe what the Lord has said, and you become what He has said, Guess what? There's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you. You see, when, when David stood and the stripping, this dismantling thing is, is a real deal, man. It's a supernatural thing. You see, the spirit of death, the spirit of death could not stop David. The spirit of death could not steal from him. It couldn't take from him. Well, why? why the Lord actually promised David a kingship. Why didn't he just put him in the chair? Come on, Wellington. Come on. Why didn't he just put him in the chair? Because the testing, because out of an impossible thing, bursts forth what the Lord is speaking. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, the hunter-killer reveals himself. What do you mean, hunter-killer? Jesus Christ, man. He's a hunter-killer. You got to have a mentality like Jesus Christ, the hunter killer. Wait a minute. The Bible actually says that it was dark and, and Jesus trembled. He was afraid. He didn't speak into the darkness. I'm joking. Okay, don't take that. That's a lie, right? The, the, what happened was Jesus, the supernatural one, searched out the dark thing. He actually looked, he found the darkness. And it says he spoke. And what did the darkness do? It didn't have a chance, man. The darkness didn't have a chance. It had no power. It had no authority. It had no ability. The darkness was dismantled by the voice. Right? The power the Lord gives you in the prophetic vision, the dream, the prophecy, is rhema. He's impart, he imparts faith to you. Okay, He imparts ability to you that you did not have. But when you grab hold of it, you put on His clothing. You're actually standing like David did on that hill in Naoth Ramah. And as David is standing under the mantle, under the prophetic, okay, you got to have this picture etched in your head, man. He's standing under the prophetic and his enemies who came to dismantle and kill David, they're the ones that actually took the beating. Amen? Has your enemy took a beating lately? 
has your enemy taken a beating? On a personal level, has your enemy taken a beating? How about on a church level, has your enemy taken a beating? Have, do you guys gather together? Do you guys know the visions that were prophesied over Wellington Filling Station? Do you guys prophesy what the Lord is saying or has said and is testing you to see if it's really in your heart? You realize in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord actually says, I took Israel to the wilderness. I took them to test them to see what was in their heart. I took you there. You don't have to give your enemy credit. I took you there because I believe in you. I know you're going to come through. I know that you are going to overcome your enemy. I take you to the desert. Deserts aren't because you did something wrong. Deserts are actually because you received the vision of God that's going to shake the nations. It's going to shake the world. And the Lord says, I'm taking you to a place to face your enemy. So that you know without a doubt that when you speak my words, you dismantle everything that stands before you. Because you wear my mantle. Anybody here wear the mantle of the Lord? You wear the prophetic vision God has given you for your life? Amen? So what happens in the church when you stand with the mantle, right? Paul said it this way, I wish you all prayed in tongues even more that you prophesied. Come on, I'm getting deep in here tonight. This is the heart of the apostle that, that Jesus Christ chose to write his vision. I wish you all prayed in tongues even more that you prophesied. He wants you all to intercede. He wants you all to have this language that flies out of your mouth that is supernatural. But even more that you prophesy. Why? He actually answers the question, right? 1 Corinthians 14. I wish you all prophesy even more that you pray in tongues. Why? Because tongues edifies you. But prophecy edifies. It actually births the body. Prophecy births the body. Prophecy bursts the drug dealers out of their brokenness and into the kingdom. Prophecy breaks through the ranks in the north and bursts forth a new thing. Right? Prophecy goes to, to the lost and the lame and the kids that are in the shelters and orphaned and brings them into the kingdom because somebody stood between the porch and the altar and said, I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost and then I'm going to prophesy. You see, I hear, I, hear, I hear these pastors preaching this all the time like the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit are somehow just this bolt-on option. Like you're going to a car lot. Oh, well, you know, I, I got a car, but I don't really need power windows and air conditioning. And the Lord says, no, you missed it. My car comes with a gold inside. My car comes with, the, the it's loaded, baby. It's loaded. My car comes loaded. Right? And so, and so there's this picture that Paul is trying to create a revelation of in the description of the church in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I wish you all would pray in tongues even more than you prophesy. Why? 
Because when the unbeliever comes in, it's not just a guy reading Scripture in a pulpit. It's the body who discerns the heart of the unbeliever and you start prophesying. And the death mantle that was on that drug-infested young man suddenly falls off because there's a guy standing with Samuel under the prophetic mantle saying, this is what the Lord says about you. Your parents disowned you. You're broken. You're on the street. You're a drug dealer. You're lost. But the Lord says, I've called you to Arizona. You're going to raise the dead, heal the sick, and cast out demons. That's, that's what the, the heart of God is. It's His voice, His vision being released and changing the lie, changing the misidentification of the world. The whole world's misidentified by the lies of the liar. And when you get people that want to do the right thing, but all they can do is read some Scripture, you miss the point. The point is you know the one, not just the letter, you know the one who wrote the love letter. You just don't know the letter. You know the one who wrote the love letter and therefore you can discern what the writer wants to write on that guy's heart, wants to write on that girl's heart, wants to write on that guy's heart, wants to write on your heart. Well, you, you make it sound like everybody should prophesy. I wish you all pray in tongues even more than you prophesy. Not 90%, not 92%, all. Tell your neighbor, All. He wants you all to prophesy, right? He wants you all to pray in tongues. He wants you all to be the army of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org, D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G, or fivestoneministries.org. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book entitled Wisdom-Filled Warriors, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.